This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church podcast. For more information about us, who we are, and how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Today's message is delivered by Pastor Randy Roche. Chapter 13. It's kind of an interesting one. Let me start off with a, a little survey. I'm not going to call you to the front. Don't be afraid to raise your hand if this applies to you. Does anybody here have dual citizenship? Anybody? We had three people in the last service that had dual citizenship, belonging to two countries. You and I are believers in Jesus, which makes us citizens of heaven. We're not there yet, but by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we are signed and sealed, waiting for delivery to heaven. So, We are citizens of heaven, but uh, we are journeying through this world right now. We are members of the world. We are citizens of this world at the same time. So let's try it again. How many of you have dual citizenship? Yes, we do. We are citizens of both heaven and on earth. And that is not always easy for those who follow Jesus because sometimes there is um, a clash between the beliefs and the doctrines and the teachings of the kingdom of heaven and also the kingdoms of the world. So chapter 13, Paul addresses citizenship in the world while we are still citizens of heaven. But here's what he says about our citizenship in the world. He says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. This is how he starts off this portion of his letter. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He's talking about earthly authorities. Now, if you knew nothing at all about history and the time when this was written to the people in Rome who are Christians, you might think, Paul is saying, we are ruled by some really good, God-fearing, upstanding people They are people who are making sure that we are safe and protected, that we are living in the guidelines of the triune God, and therefore it should be really easy to be subject to these governing authorities. But that is not the case uh, at all. It is far from it. As Paul is writing this letter to Christians living in Rome, Rome is ruled by an autocracy. In other words, it's one person that really holds the reins, and that is whoever is Caesar at the time. Now, they did have a Senate, and it was a group of influential, wealthy people, but it was really Caesar who ran the show. If one of those senators got out of line, they were dealt with severely. Many of the Caesars declared themselves to be a deity. Many of them declared themselves to be a god. And they even had temples built to themselves that people would go and worship them, along with the other gods and goddesses of Rome. 
And the influence of Caesar obviously goes beyond Rome. It goes to every single territory that is occupied by the Roman government. And that would include the Holy Land at the time of St. Paul and also the time of Jesus. If you'll remember, they were occupied by the Romans. They were governed and ruled by the Romans. However, when Rome came in to occupy your land, your religion could remain the same. And so the Jews did worship in the temple and in synagogues. Your customs could be kept. So they did abide by dietary laws and laws that governed how they could live on the Sabbath. You could have your own little local government as long as Rome approved of the leader of that government so in Jesus and Paul's time, you'll remember it was Herod. Um, if you know anything about Herod and the Caesar, uh, they grew up together, childhood friends. Probably the biggest challenge in the Roman government was taxation. Taxation was heavy. As a matter of fact, in some instances, you were taxed on your taxes. Uh, we talk about our tax structure here, um, but historians say that taxation was even heavier in the first century. And if you lived in Rome, more than one half of the population of Rome was slaves at the time. So there's great challenges living under the rule of the Romans. But Paul says we have a certain position in this world as Christians. What is our position in the world? There it is again. Let every person be subject to the governing authority. So Paul's saying you can't just say, well, um, I, I don't agree with them, so I, I'm not going to listen to them. The word subject is very specific. To be subject means to put yourself in submission. It means to remain obedient. So in other words, we are called to be model citizens. About 50 years after St. Paul was martyred, there was a, a Caesar, his name was Trajan. He just was relentless when it came to persecution of Christians. His seems like one of his goals was to exterminate every Christian. So he told all of the uh, governors of the regions where they occupied, he told them that uh, all these Christians should be sought out. If they renounce their faith, they could live. If they didn't, they'd be shipped off to Rome and they would be executed and in some instances in some very gruesome and violent ways. One of those imperial magistrates was governing the region of Pontus. His name was Pliny the Younger. And he took note of what Trajan was asking him to do. And he wrote a letter to Trajan because he seemed rather confused. And in his letter, he explained what the Christians were like and he wrote this, the sum and substance of their fault or their error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath not to do some crime but not to commit fraud or theft or adultery, not falsify their trust 
nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. Pliny's saying to Caesar, they get up early on a Sunday morning and they sing songs to Jesus as if he were a god. And then they make promises to each other that, that they won't commit any crimes, but that they will care for each other. Do you get it? I think Pliny's saying, uh, you want me to kill my best citizens? So model citizens are those who follow the word of Jesus. So while Paul is writing to Roman Christians, there was an emperor named Nero. You know something about Nero, don't you? As a matter of fact, you know this. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Yes. During Nero's reign, there was a severe fire through Rome and a vast majority of Roman buildings were destroyed and there were no insurance companies like we have today. So Caesar, Nero, actually went out and purchased all of the property with a plan of rebuilding. And he was going to be the biggest property holder in all of Rome. Gossip began to spread that Nero himself was the one who set Rome on fire. Damage control is what Nero needed, so he issued the word that it was the Christians who set fire to Rome and the persecution began. And this is where Paul writes these words. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And then he emphasizes it in in verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection. That's what we are called to be. So what about the position of the government in the world? Well, the first thing we have to understand is God is the one who established authorities in in this world. And, And we might struggle with that. Well, we know that God established the church in this world, but seriously, God actually established authorities in this world? And we we might struggle with that thought because we look at all the different kinds of governments in the world and there's no perfect government, whether it's an autocracy or a democracy, whether it's parliamentary or it's a dictator or it's a monarch or it's socialism or communism. There isn't one that's perfect. Which, by the way, there is no Christian congregation that is perfect. There is no pastor that is perfect. But here's what Luther had to say about it, and I think he designed it very well. Luther taught that God had established two organizations for the world. The right hand, he called it, is the church, and God designed the church, put it on earth, so that his word could be preached, the sacraments could be administered, his people would grow in faith, but also that the church would be a beacon to the rest of the world, that the good news of Jesus would be proclaimed through the church. That was his right hand. Luther said, government is the left hand of God. It is established by God to keep order in the world, to make sure that we have protection or that there is punishment when people have stepped out of line. 
and that the left hand, the government, was to make sure that we could live peaceable and quiet lives so that the right hand, the church, could do its work in missions. Jesus stands before Pilate, and Pilate asks Jesus quite a few questions to which Jesus gives no response. John 19 picks up the conversation between Jesus and Pilate. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Do you hear it? God establishes earthly authorities. I don't know if you, if you caught it in verse 6 of our reading of Romans 13. Paul says this. He says that the people who occupy governmental positions are ministers of God. Did you hear that? Some translations use the word servants of God, but I think the word minister is the appropriate translation. It comes out of the Greek word diakonos. It's the same word Paul uses in his letters when he talks about these kinds of ministers. So he says both pastors and governmental officials are ministers of God. They've been placed there by God. So this means that every single governmental official should rule and govern because they represent the triune God. They rule under the Lord. They rule for the Lord. And so they are called to serve the Lord by carrying out His will, by making sure His way is obeyed. But they don't always do that, do they? And so here comes the question you're dying to ask, but you can't jump up and shout it out because you're in a a Lutheran church, and Lutherans never do that. But I know your question is this. What do you do when positions clash? What do you do when the government tells you something that you know is not God-pleasing, not God-honoring, not God-directed? What do you do as a follower of Jesus Christ? What does a Christian do when his conscience or her conscience is accosted by governmental rules? What about the doctor who is told that he will be removed from his position if he doesn't follow the health network's abortion plan? What does the salesperson do when the sales manager says, sometimes you have to lie in order to close the deal? Or the question that I've been getting over the last handful of years. Pastor, what would you do if the government told you you had to perform same-sex marriages? What do Christians do when their conscience is accosted by rules and regulations that don't follow the pattern of Christ? I think, I think that question's answered many times in the Scriptures. After Jesus' resurrection, after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, 
uh, they were sent out and they were told, preach the gospel uh, throughout the world, and they did. And the Sanhedrin, which is the governing, the ruling body of the Jews in the first century, they called a handful of those apostles in before them, and, and they said to these apostles, you're preaching the good news of Jesus. We crucified him, and you're telling everyone he's risen from the grave and that he's the gift of life eternal. You can't do this anymore, or you will be punished. Cease and desist. And they gave an answer, and it was a respectful answer. We must obey God rather than men. That's the answer. And that is played out throughout scriptures. In the Old Testament, when Pharaoh told the midwives who were serving the birthing mothers of the Israelites, Pharaoh said to those midwives, kill all those baby boys that are born and and they didn't. In essence, they were saying, we must obey God rather than Pharaoh. Or Daniel, when they were told they couldn't pray to the, to the Lord anymore, Daniel opened his windows and he prayed and uh, he was threatened. You know, it's the lion's den. And he figured, I must obey God rather than the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not bow down and worship the image of the king and they were told, it's the fiery furnace for you. And in essence, their response was, we must obey God rather than men. That is who we are. That is our respectful response to any authority that asks us to act contrary to our Christian conscience. Toward the end of his earthly ministry, there were many groups, uh, Pharisees among them, that tried to uh, trap Jesus, to try to trick Jesus into saying something that was blasphemous. And, and so at one point, uh, they came to Jesus and they asked him if it was okay for Jewish people to pay taxes to Rome. After all, Rome was ungodly and they were God-fearing and they kept the law of God while the people in Rome were obviously pagans and live contrary to God's word. Why should we be giving money to them? And so they pose that question to Jesus. And we'll pick it up in verse 19 of Matthew 22. Jesus said, show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Well, Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. The image on the coin was Caesar. Let Caesar have that. You and I were created in God's image, we give ourselves to God. As I read through the Gospels, I, I noticed this. By the time Jesus came into his ministry, uh, the Jewish people had uh, an interesting concept of what the Messiah was to be. By first century uh, Judaism, they were looking for a political leader. They were looking even for a military leader, someone like David who could serve as the general and the king and that this person would come and get rid of all of the Romans. But if you notice... 
Jesus never came into the world to change politics. He did come into the world to change hearts. And he's changed your heart and my heart so that we can say things like, we're going to obey God rather than men. But understand this, if we really desire a changed culture, I'm not quite sure we're going to do it with legislation. You cannot legislate morality. That comes from the heart. So if we want to change our culture, I believe we need to do it one heart at a time. When you change hearts, you change homes. When you change homes, you change communities. When you change communities, you change cultures. This is why we're here. So that we can go out there and change hearts. We are to let our light shine. We are to live in such a way that the people today would say of us just what Pliny the Younger said about Christians 20 centuries ago. The only fault I can find is they get up too early on a Sunday morning and they worship Jesus and they're kind to one another and they long to do what is right. These are the things that change hearts and change minds and change worlds. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. We'll see you next week, and God bless.